Live from Avonlea, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to episode 102 of Derailed Trains of Thoughts. We're still here. We are still alive, amazingly. My name is Timothy Deal. My name is Nick Hayden. And this is your premier podcast on storytelling, or that's what we like to believe. Uh, for the cre- It is. <laughs> it is. For the creator and the consumer. Uh, we are here coming to you from a very pleasant little town. I like it here. Everyone's pretty polite. A few uh, snooty older ladies there on the porch that kind of frowned at us for not to. Well, we're we're not probably not dressed proper for one, and yeah, yeah, not 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 quite nice. But hey, I mean, there's but there's also farmers around here. Well, so yeah. In some ways, we feel right at home. Yeah, I mean, but we're in t-shirts, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that the t-shirts is a little unusual. Yeah. Hey, podcast, I know you're listening, but maybe next time a clothing, a wardrobe yeah, change would be useful. He doesn't do that often enough. No, he, he, I mean, I don't want to make you mad. We, we did that. We've done. We've been there, done that, but, you know, just something to keep in mind. Improve your craft. <laughs> it's a good advice for anyone. Well, Nick, can you believe it's the end of summer? It is the end of summer. And we made it through the summer. We made it through. <laughs> this was a very tumultuous summer. If you heard our 100th episode, and then uh, last time when we were uh, at Monster Island, and actually we've been to Monster Island twice now. Yeah. So um, you got like a ticket to go back, don't you? Yeah, I know. I, I, I it keeps showing up in the mail. I keep trying to return it, and it keeps coming back. So well, I guess that means I, I have to go. Yeah. But that's okay. It'll be fun. But yeah, summer's about over. It's almost, uh, as we record, about a month from Apple Festival season here in Kendallville. Uh, yeah. And, and besides the 100th episode, I had a massive... You went on vacation earlier on, and then I had a yep. big big road trip, yep. and I was involved in a play reading festival, and I'm involved in another play that's coming up you here. You have kept quite busy. Quite busy, quite busy. And, you know, and not least of all this is I started dating. We have a very lovely new listener that uh, has been listening to our podcast regularly, and she's, nice. she's the best listener for our podcast we've had. Hi, Janelle. <laughs> listener number two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope not. No, but. about three or four, be, uh, between our parents and stuff. Between our parents and, <laughs> and a few other people, yeah. Fam- no, okay, all, our, all our fans, we love you. Yes, we do. Uh, we would love to hear from more of you, to be honest. Um, and in case you were wondering, because I did have a couple people like being really worried about our uh, our music files, Nick. Um, oh, really? Yes. Well, Brendan Fusco, he took them, but we we're, we were reconstructed them. Yes. Well, well, we've got new ones. Reimagine them. Reimagine them. So I hope you enjoy as we begin with Story School. Okay, for story school today, we've got a topic that is near and dear to your heart, Nick. It is, it is. Because you're is. you're a character writer. I am a character writer. Characters are important to me. So describe what our topic is. I want to talk about what it actually takes to change a character. Because, you know, a lot of times you have a character and they just do things. But you want to sometimes make someone who's bad, good, or good, bad, or have some massive uh, shift in their thinking. And I always find this interesting, fascinating, and difficult with my own characters. Being like, I can't quite get them to... So I talk about breaking characters sometimes. Uh, we've had discussions with, like, say, Children Wells about how do we make this character... How do we how do we fix her? Meaning, she's a fine character, but how do we... Change her. Change her. Because change is, is not easy. I mean, you can, you can make a character change, but how do you make a character change believably? Before we get too deep into this, I had one question for you. Mm -hmm. In our messaging thread about this, I first said, we're going to be talking about character growth, right? And then you were like, well, I thought we were like how characters change. I was like, well, yeah, that's what I meant. But I thought it was interesting. Do you see a distinguishing difference between character growth and character change? In some ways, I guess what fascinates me, maybe it's just because what fascinates me more. What fascinates me more is not just that that they grow, but that there's like a fundamental shift in who they are. Okay. Like a revelation, they become a different, either a better version of themselves or a worse version of themselves. Mm. I have this theory that making bad or, or average characters good takes some sort of shock to the system. But making a good character bad doesn't. 
Okay. So you're talking about, and I'm, I'm going to just, yeah. I, I like starting off these episodes by trying to define our terms as much as possible. Because another term I hear people talk about is character development. Almost as if when we first see a, a character, it's it's kind of like this uh, this undeveloped film that like it has it takes a little like a special scene to really develop yeah. and crystallize who they are. I guess that's what I'm talking about. I guess my mind just gravitates to the more extreme versions of okay. character development because you can obviously develop like oh he was cowardly and now he's he stepped up and made a you know took charge took charge and try to protect someone. You're gonna have those in. Or you should have them in almost any sort of story. I mean, there are some stories where you just keep the character the same constantly, like Psych or, you know, those mysteries where mm. the characters basically are static. Yeah. Or even in a show like one of our favorite examples, Lost, you've got some characters that grow and change a lot, like Sawyer. Yeah. And then you've got people like Kate, who just can't quite... Can't I would quite have... get over her her continuing cycle of problems yeah. and now she, hang-ups. And the most interesting thing with Kate... And sorry for those who have not watched Lost, but Kate's a character who um, constantly runs away from stuff. Runs away from her problems. problems. The most interesting... Often in very dramatic ways. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think the most interesting version of Kate's issue is when she's trying to be a mom. Mm, okay. Because that almost... She doesn't run away at first. She does it until she suddenly has this event that makes her feel like, oh, nope, I'm a failure at this. I need to go and... And then she runs back or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think... You know, those sort of seismic changes, you know, becoming a parent, like things that reveal a new layer of your character. Like simple movies, you have the development where like, you know from the front that he's a coward, he needs to step up, or his dad doesn't respect him, and then his dad will. Or she's a klutz that doesn't know how to reach out to her love interest, and suddenly she gets the confidence, eventually she gets the confidence to do that. And, and sometimes with shows like, especially in the movie versions... You have these events, and usually someone encourages them. They have some failures, and they're like, I'm just going to do it. And it's largely just uh, many times almost like just a pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the audience always buys it because the audience knows it wants to buy it. Mm. I'm not saying they're bad developments, but it's sort of run of the mill as far as storytelling goes. I mean, you still need a good, you still need the right ingredients. You usually throw them. One of the main ways you normally change a character is just new experiences. New environment. New, new friends, new environment. New challenges. New challenges, and they, they grow. I mean, that's how it works in real life, and that's why it works in movies and mm. TV shows and books. Mm-hmm. I think another way for the more dramatic is some sort of actual revelation, some encounter, some semi-religious something. This would be, if you've been watching, listen to our hijack on Balan 5, like Jakar. He was basically kind of a warmongering thing, has this drug-induced vision, basically, <laughs> and then becomes kind of a religious leader. I mean, it was sort of a, a moment of divine inspiration. I mean, I use the, the term loose. divine <laughs> loosely. In, in Babylon 5 terms, you tend to know what that means. Just an encounter with a higher being, essentially. Not an actual divine being. But for all intents and purposes, yeah, Jakar's conversion there is not unlike uh you know road to damascus conversion it's just as this moment where his entire world how he understood things flips upside down and he's a different person after that well i mean that's like your jean valjean where he has a candlestick experience and then mm. basically the rest of the novel is him just trying to work it out yeah in the unremarkable squire which is my novel obed basically has one of these sort of like well he has two one this knight just points at him say hey you're gonna do this and then two he falls down and half dies which would be a life-changing experience for exactly. anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's interesting to see what those sorts of things do to a person. And I think sometimes there are certain changes that can't happen, at least in my writing, without some sort of shock to the system. And that's why I talk about breaking characters, like applying pressure until usually their pride breaks. Now, is this a Dostoevsky idea? Um, I don't know that I got it from him, but I'm sure I imbibe some of it from him because his characters have a lot of that sort of like crime punishment is largely guilt working on a guy until he, until he finally finds, acknowledges, acknowledges he was wrong. It. And again, it's like a 600 page book, you know, so. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, more realistic, more spiritually attuned than law books need to be. I mean, that's the point of the book in some ways. Right, right. Is the change. You got your Huck Finns where he goes on journey. He's out of his element. Journeys are great. Hob- you know, the Hobbit's a journey. Yeah. An unexpected journey. Uh, yep. Exactly. They're in Mac again. <laughs> so, anyways, that's a lot of the good 
development, character development. Mm-hmm. You also have bad development, where a character the becomes evolution, a, or where a character becomes the villain. The villain's journey. The villain's journey, and I think to me, the villain's journey is interesting. I don't think it has to be as, at least realistically, it can just be a slow slide. Mm. Yeah. I don't think you need. I don't think you necessarily need a shock. You can't have a shock to the system and some sort of deep disillusionment. But I think it's much easier to slide into villainry than to slide into heroism. That's that's an interesting point. I mean, I guess you could look at a character like Sawyer. Yeah. And and we're going back to Lost. So there's a character that was like when he started off, he's already not in a very good place, and he keeps kind of being put into positions of leadership and he slowly starts to becoming a good guy so i guess That's you could true. call that a slide that way but yeah it's it's much more likely to have the the babylon five our other yeah. big topic londo the counterpoint to jakar yeah. who starts off with eh, maybe not the best of intentions but understandable ones and has a slow descent into doing more and more terrible things mm-hmm. now the unusual thing about londo is that then he kind of had an upswing when he, at some point he realized how bad the things he was yeah. doing and started to pick back up, even though it was too late in some ways. And I guess my theory just comes from, you know, my Christian view of people in general, which sliding into sin is pretty easy. Mm. And the other way it's not. Yeah. I mean, it takes some pretty extraordinary circumstances. But at the same time, I think it's a Lewis idea that I feel like it was something he said in a letter even about like how do you develop good behavior? Well, sometimes it's just practice and yeah. and pretending that you are the good person that no, you want to be. I like that. I like the you. I I think that's true. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. But you know, an interesting way to change a character is to force them to pretend to be someone they're not yet. Yeah, you get that sometimes from like plays with like mistaken identity, and they start playing the role, and then suddenly you're like, oh. I, I can that, do that. I can be that person. Yeah. That's actually really good. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> this is a, a left field example, but I wonder if uh, even Mrs. Doubtfire is kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> she takes on this persona and then she actually, and then he, Robin Williams character, <laughs> learns to be a, <laughs> learns to be a better parent by being a mom. I, there's, okay, there's, there's some feminist theory there, and, but <laughs> I'm not going to try to touch. <laughs> so, okay. So we've thrown a lot of ideas out here. So I guess, you know, say you're, yeah, I guess I'm interested from the creator point of view. Mm-hmm. So here's a question, and I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I had a teacher who really thought the Vader turning good and then Return Jedi was completely just like not logically sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I felt about that. I think with the prequels, it's harder to say that now. Mm. Yeah, because you know a lot more background about who Anakin was and what motivated him. But question like that starts adding the question, you know, that thing as a creator is that what you want to happen and what would actually happen. Again, you don't, not everything's realistic, but how do you create the circumstance to make development believable? Well, let's look at, um, let's look at Prince Zuko from okay. Avatar The Last Airbender. First season, he's a little bit stiff, but they do, at that point, they go ahead and develop the background. You have a yeah. flashback episode that kind of, you see what motivates him. See, flashbacks help. Flashbacks help. Because then you see... Virtue in even misguided motions. Yeah, in the mistakes. Yeah, and, and Lost does that a lot, where, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, well, he was really good, though he did it badly. Yeah, I mean, and, and you could say that's a postmodern idea that, like, we're just a product of our past, but, I mean... It's, it's partly par- true. It's partially true, yeah. yes. As long as you're not ex- using that as excuse for what the behavior is, as long as it's informing the behavior, and... So anyway, yeah, that's a that's a way to seed understanding the character's motivations helps them helps them seed how they respond to new situations. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning of season two, this guy who's obsessed with honor is even further disgraced. Yeah. And I guess you could say Zuko does have this kind of like beat down for a, a little bit. He kind of goes through the wilderness for a while uh-huh. in season two. He he's, the other thing he has is he has a mentor. That's yeah. constantly telling him the other, what he could be. Yeah. And I think that makes things believable. I, people understand you becoming something you've seen someone else you admire doing. Mm. You know, that's why you always give a mentor in these cases of some sort. Yeah. And then kill them off. <laughs> and thankfully they never killed off Iroh, but spoiler, I guess. No. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge factor, particularly or someone like Zuko, who starts off as a villain and then slowly gets redeemed. Yeah, he needed someone telling him, well, 
truth, essentially, yeah. trying to subtly get him on the right path. I guess the way to make, you know, to make sure it's believable is to make sure there are elements surrounding the character that are what he turns into. Hmm. Or at least a good mirrors to showing why the opposite is wrong. Yeah, I think I think it's important to have a mix of plots, event happen things mm-hmm. that happen to him and also how he interacts with other people. Yeah. Whether it's the mentor, whether it's a peer that kind of gives him a new perspective, new way of or looking at things. Or sometimes you have those uh, those kind of encounters with a stranger and suddenly like, oh, is that what people are like? Think me, think of me like, you know, you've got the, mm, yeah. you got the uncle, the Ebenezer Scrooge where you just see him, how other people see him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh they're selling my bedcloth and <laughs> I don't really want to be that. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a good mirror sometimes for especially the people who have flaws. Yeah, I can see that. And the thing is, it's important to do character development, right? Because a lot of the great stories are hinged on characters changing. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. people love about a lot of the famous stories. Yeah, you know, we mentioned Christmas Carol here. You know, we've mentioned a lot of famous science fiction and cartoons and stuff that all kind of, you know, Star Wars revolve around the main character making a big choice, a big improvement, a big... Interesting side effect of that, though, is that sometimes... While the the main character has the the bulk of the the plots in some ways, sometimes you get these side characters like Zuko, for instance, yeah. who get to have this like side story of their own kind of growth. Which in some ways, because they're they're not burdened with you know the big stakes mm-hmm. of the ongoing story, can be more personal, can be really interesting in their own way. I was thinking this evening how. In Kingdom Hearts, probably the character who's had the most change over the course of the series is actually Riku. Okay, yeah, because he starts off in the first game the the kind of the the prick, the yeah. the the jerk best friend, you know, that at first betrays you, but then after he redeems himself, then he has this in the subsequent games for a little while. He's having this kind of like redemption, like oh man, I really messed up. How yeah. do I kind of solve this? And then by the time he gets to Dream Drop Distance, he finally like was able to kind of make peace with himself. And by Kingdom Hearts 3, he's actually a really cool, like, bigger brother character. Like, he, f- he feels at that point like he's finding the big brother character yeah. that he was supposed to be. I guess that's the problem with... Now, the, the dif- difficulty of main characters is so often you try to hang all, you know, the, the all the angst on the main character. Mm-hmm. So you, like, sometimes they don't change as fast as everyone else does. Yeah. Because they're the engine. Mm-hmm. And so you want them to have certain problems because that's what keeps the plot moving forward yeah like going back to babylon 5 we talked about jakar and londo are the side characters yeah. if you look at who your main character is well it's probably sheridan and he doesn't change that much really. not really i mean he just becomes a more extreme version of who he already was and that's a, i think probably in many ways that's the, mo- the most normal character development is just sharpening who you are mm-hmm. but yeah the side characters have so much more freedom because the weight of the forward momentum doesn't depend on them and I think that's sometimes why people get annoyed with main characters who never change. Yeah. Because you change them, then the plot stops. Yeah. And so, and it doesn't have to be that way, but so many plots are set up mm. so that once the main character becomes who he wants to be... And sometimes the, the creators are so scared to let the uh, character grow because like, we don't know what we're going to do with this story once <laughs> that happens. Their, their particular quirks and challenges are what define the story at that point. And if you get rid of that... What do you do? Yeah. So that's yeah, that's a real catch-22 with the main characters. I mean, you could look at that with Jack with Lost. You mm-hmm. know, he was kind of the same guy till the very end, and then he died. <laughs> end of the show. Well, I mean, like, season six, he starts having much more faith than... Mm-hmm. And again, you know, like, long-running series like Wheel of Time, Randall Thor has this constant burden of... I have to save everyone. I can't, you know, I can't deal with the death. And he has to kind of, ex- he's like, I got to grow harder and keeps trying to harden himself the whole time. And at some point that has a change and it takes to like second to last book because that sort of transition can only happen right when you're re- rolling towards the end. Mm-hmm. I've complained about, uh, I mean, I'm complaining about the second hand because I've more heard about it than read through it a, a lot myself. But in comic books, mm-hmm. th- there's this complaint about Spider-Man that Peter Parker... In the comics, he grew up. He was married. He was yeah. he was a high school teacher, um, and then they decided to you know wipe that away and then kind of revert him back to the high schooler because that's what people thought Peter Parker should be. Yeah. Rather than being well, what does a grown up Peter Parker yeah. look like as he continues that kind of responsibility? And 
I don't know that we've still, even all this time after, I think one more day was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I don't know if we still really gotten an answer to, to all that because, uh, yeah, the creators just don't know how to do a, how to keep, I mean, <laughs> which is ironic considering comics are such a long-term medium, but uh, they still don't really have an answer for how do you keep this person growing and still being true to that identity? And this this issue is fascinating to me. I just recently finished, you know, most of the edits of book three of Strand Fred. And most of book three is basically pushing my character, almost every character, especially the main ones, to somewhere they hadn't been before. Yeah. And hopefully doing it in an interesting way. Some of them go better and some of them go worse. Yeah, which was fascinating to see especially <laughs> and much needed yes particularly after book two which was everyone's like who am i what am i well and, here's who you are <laughs> and they're they're like what <laughs> so i'm not sure we answer anything but i think we hopefully have given some direction some direction some ideas <laughs> you know the revelation the new the uh, surrounding with friends or anakin hanging out with Palpatine was probably the worst thing he ever did um <laughs> And I think it is different for each character. Some people are going to have those like sudden like moments. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Anakin, his seeds for the sudden change. I mean, the change was kind of a yeah. flip of a switch, but the bad seeds had been planted for a while. And, and he has this deep anger all the time. Yeah, I mean, it but wasn't this, surprising. It was just, when is this going to happen? Yeah. But then on the other hand, you've got your the quote from the screw tape letters where the road is hell is paid with good intentions. Uh, it's kind of a slow, gradual journey down. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, and it'd be, it's interesting to think about maybe other characters like Sawyer. I can't think of any off the top of my head that had this like slow, this slow progression toward being a better person. I think, I think there's probably long series or shows where the writers just slightly write them different episode by episode. And he just mm. becomes, you know, he used to be the, the pain in the butt and suddenly he's like the, cool sidekick and like nothing ever happened it's just sort of like time yeah yeah time and familiarity with the rest of and that's always fun actually i almost forgot to mention i'm listening to an audio book series um called superpowers and each book in the series takes place in the year it's it's about a basically it's about superhero college essentially (laughs) and the main characters are people who used to be what the in the book franchise called Powers, okay, meaning they had superpowers, but they couldn't control them super well, okay, or very well, until suddenly at the beginning of the book, a company gives them a new procedure that they could control them. So okay. they, so they come to the to the superhero academy um, with kind of a different perspective than the rest of the students. Um, but anyway, so like these five students, it's very satisfying who they are from like the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Nice, um, just the the amount of growth together. And a lot of it is because they're in extreme circumstances together, but there's also a fair bit of like just being with, you know, these people yeah. for this length of time changes anyway. Like college in general. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, yeah, I think we've circled around a lot of these ideas. Okay. Good. And so now let's go on into soundtrack. Right, so for today, I thought I didn't actually have a good choice, so I picked this kind of semi-randomly, this song called Electrotherapy, a remix from a puzzler on the PSP called Crush, remixed by DJ Pretzel. I figured electrotherapy, you know, if you need a shock therapy to help your personality, your character change, I don't know. It just it seemed you, to work. You will change. You will change. Uh. Yeah, it's like some sort of mad scientist. Well, and it made sense because this, the song started with kind of this mad scientist quote thing and just... Sounds like one of those things like, whoa, ha, 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 we'll shock you and you'll be the evil version of yourself sort of thing. Okay. So, yeah, loosely tied, but I like it. Enjoy. You must be Danny. I'm Dr. Rubens. I see you already met Crush. You'll be unconscious soon, thanks to her. Yes. I assume you mean Details, details. You sit on the cradle of the miracle cure. Open your mind and let me explain.
And we're back. Hello. My brain still seems intact, which ah, is good. Steam is coming out of my ears. But uh, oh, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. An, it's a nice look. Good, good. Next up, we have our take on Tales. Every year, I really want to do this particular take on Tales earlier than we seem to wind up doing it. And we always don't. Yeah, this year scheduling just uh, just didn't work out. But anyway, so we're going to talk about summer movies. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully we're not too deep into fall by the time this episode comes out. Um, and to be honest, this was not a great summer for movies. I do not see very many. I mean, to be fair, which is fine because I had en- enough other stuff going on. But we thought we'd mix in some TV because a lot of event TV that happens in the summer is kind of blockbustery anyway. Yeah. So it's, it feels like it fits. So let's start off. We always start off with the superheroes for these things. We'll start off, of course, with Avengers Endgame. Two thumbs down. No, not. <laughs> Horrible. No one likes this. I mean, yeah, there's well, not a lot we can say about Endgame that probably hasn't already been said at this yeah, point. We, yeah, I just say it was entertaining. Yeah, well, it was... Uh, oh, man. Okay, just the entire last whatever that thing was, Ten battle, minutes. was fabulous. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I joked about this on Facebook that uh, we'll probably never see another movie like this for at least another 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it, it really was the culmination of 10 years of a franchise, which is astounding. Yeah. Like 10 years in like 20 some movies. I, I do say, I thought it was pretty fascinating and it's old news now, but just you start out, they kill Thanos. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's five years later. You're like, Oh, this is not where I thought this was going. <laughs> well, I'm not sure anyone knew going into it exactly what to expect. Well, I mean, I guess people knew that they would have some sort of, yeah, some sort of plan to try to reverse everything. But yeah, I think most people thought that the go after Thanos was that plan. Yeah. So, not, and so I thought that was very clever on the writer's part to kind of, you know, basically all the, all the promos were like, yeah, this all happened in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> which is genius yes it, it was it was good it was good holding card close to their chest excellent marketing for sure so, yeah so it was the end of a giant crossover comic book movie and, and it, it either means if that sounds exciting to you you liked it if it doesn't you didn't yeah yeah i mean and the the time travel was a fun way to uh revisit things from the, yeah. the, the entire franchise the ending created more problems than necessary. Yeah, yeah, I feel. yeah. There were various disagreements even among people here. <laughs> yeah, about how we were supposed to interpret such things. Like I, and I, I think I, even, I think I read that like, it sounded to me like the writers and the directors had different interpretations yes, for what that's everything what I meant ended too. Up believing it's like, uh huh. That explains now, a lot. I do enjoy having a different type of time travel. It makes just as much sense any, or more mm-hmm. um, than other ones. It's fun to have Smart Hulk. Fat Thor is an interesting and thing. I think, I think it's funny that pop culture discussions about time travel has come to a place that we have to address like all the previous time travel movies inside the movie. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, it like, feels like a plot hole. It's like, why didn't they just do this? Well, our characters talked about that because we know the audience would be we asking all, the same questions. We all know we all know the rules now. I mean, yeah. we never, none of us have time traveled, but we all know what would happen <laughs> if we did. You compare that to the first Back to the Future, where I remember when we were watching that, like back in like 2015, when mm-hmm. everyone was watching Back to the Future because of, you know, we're back to the future. We're in the future. But like just how carefully they explained that. And like in the world that where we have, where Doctor Who is like, is known on a mass scale, it felt so passe in yeah. some ways. So yeah, it's funny. But anyway, yes. Fun super. I, I saw it the second time. I got just as pumped for the last battle se- awesome. sequence. Yeah, that last battle scene was beautiful. It was. I, I could have been like ten minutes longer, and I still would have <laughs> enjoyed it. I just, which it, I, I can't say about like all battle sequences, but that one was awesome. Yeah, it honestly just having Captain America use the hammer was yeah. just a moment enough. Pure yep. beauty. Yep. yep. All right, moving on um, to uh, Spider Man Far From Home. Uh, you mean Night Monkey? Night Monkey. Night Monkey. <laughs> right, right. Well, we might as well be at this point. I mean, unfortunately, I feel like all talk about Spider-Man has been completely eclipsed by the Sony-Disney deal. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate for this movie in particular. Because there were so many, like, uh, It was, like, the cemented end. within the MCU. And, like, yeah, I'm so... I mean, it was a great cliffhanger. And now I'm like, are we not going to get to see the payout of that? Uh, I mean, that's very distressing to leave... I mean... Hi folks, Tim from the future, editing this episode, talking to you real quick. 
Yes, Disney and Sony finally did work out a deal, so uh, Spider-Man will be back for at least one more movie in the MCU. But, of course, we didn't know that when we recorded this episode several days ago. So, bear that in mind. Thanks. I guess you could just uh, forget that the mid credit sequence even happened. And, yeah. And otherwise, it's just a fine, fun... And it, it was. It was a fun movie. I thought it was kind of ironic that essentially the the main enemy was a special effects guru in yeah. a green suit or a, or a motion capture suit. I, I thought I thought they did ironic. interesting things with um, Mysterio, just playing with this or like fake news sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker, or the, um, Tom Holland does a great job. It was fun going to other countries just because different environment, different yeah. environment. I don't know it was really enjoyable, and I. And again, the, some of the last sequence there was great too when he uses his Peter Tingle and <laughs> please people do not keep calling it that <laughs> spider sense. Oh boy! But you know, it was—I thought it was a very enjoyable kind of um, chaser. Is that a proper use of the word? Sure. To uh, cleanse out the end game. Uh, the 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 giant stakes. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. As the that. advertising of being like. Oh no, he's from another multiverse. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, no, you just, no, he's not. You completely <laughs> just played your audience in your, in your preview. <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, to be fair, I think anyone who knew who Mysterio was and they were like portraying him as a good guy is like, I'm keeping my eye on you. I don't know about this Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, I was too, except I'm like, I'm keep watching. I'm like, but how? And then they, they do a long explanation of it all because it's like, it was super complete, his yes. deception. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, I figured he was bad, but I just couldn't figure out how. Uh-huh. And then you get that reveal. I'm like, oh, okay. A nice callback to like Lots Iron of Man stuff. 3 or... One even, I think. One? I think one? there was a scene from the first one. Yeah. One, okay. Yeah, and I'm like, it's crazy. <laughs> they had to track that down that particular extra and like, hey, we need you in Spider-Man. It's like, what? Well, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, surprised yeah. you knew my numbers. Still. Nine movie deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, we can't. I can't wait to see that scientist again in like <laughs> probably Black Panther five or something. <laughs> of course, he'll be the villain in <laughs> in Captain Marvel versus Rocket Raccoon <laughs> coming out in twenty thirty two. Oh, what a weird world we live in! Which I would watch that, but I would, I would too. To be fair, <laughs> I mean, the title I'm most excited about right now is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Because that's just a great comic booky title. One thing back to um, Mysterio. It's just interesting to the the world they've created with the MCU. Like at first, I'm like, oh, okay, these these weird creature things are probably legit. I mean, yeah. and then after the <laughs> fake, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense that these be real. But I've seen so many crazy things in and MCU, so, and so would the people of that world. At that point, they'll be believe just about anything. I mean, so, they're like Thor used to be a myth. Now we teach him in science books. Exactly. So, so yeah, it's pretty fun. One. All right, so we didn't see Dark Phoenix. Uh, um, my wife saw it and she said, "Meh." Yeah, that was when I saw the the critic reviews. It's like, okay, I'm gonna save my time because I, I still haven't actually seen X Men Apocalypse. Oh yeah, uh, I I still kind of wish that the the current X Men franchise had just kind of concluded with Days of Future Past, which is yeah, was the last the good la- one, the last really great, yeah, good one from what I understand, and it and it was a great like epic kind of wrap-up, yeah. I felt like, for everything they had done with that iteration of X-Men, um, which is probably is still wrapping up now anyway, because Disney. Yeah. But, oh well. But you dark figure, Natasha said that it was, it was good. Po- she she enjoyed going to the theater and watching it, but yeah. not much beyond. I'll probably watch it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, like <laughs> so, everything else. Like everything else someday. Let's talk about something that was not Disney-related yes, at all. Yeah, that sounds good. Pokemon- wait, wait, is that a thing? Yeah, b- believe it or not. Okay. And actually, did you know, I heard this recently, Pokemon is still actually the world's top grossing franchise. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. Because of like all the different things. That's fascinating. Video games, movies, cartoons, trading cards. That's fascinating. Well, although I think a big part of it is merchandise. Yeah, but oh, of course. Worldwide appeal. But cool. yeah, interesting. But of course, we're talking specifically now about Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Which was way better had any right to be. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in a previous episode about just how it was evident they really put a lot of care and quality control into this. And just as an example of this, I thought this was fascinating that the filmmakers actually chose to film this on film. Oh, really? Yeah, most movies these days are done completely digitally. Yeah, This one, they actually shot it on film, which 
think about it, this is a Pokemon movie. You're going to have digitally created, computer like generated all creatures the time. all the time. And the reason they did this is they, what I read is that they really wanted to emulate that film noir feel. And even specifically, they mentioned Blade Runner. They wanted to oh, really? give it like the original Blade Runner. Obviously, not quite that dark. Yeah. But that little like kind of gritty of like kind of urban environment stuff. And you know what? It, it's true because film really does give a different quality to your picture. Mm-hmm. But usually, if anyone, anyone who's shooting film nowadays is probably like a big director, like you're a Tarantino or Spielberg yeah. or Scorsese or Christopher Nolan. These guys like shooting on film sometimes, although even Spielberg will switch up and do digital if the project calls for it. But the fact that for, again, Pokemon, <laughs> which should just be a cash cow that they actually yeah. cared enough to shoot it on this the yeah. medium that's not widely used anymore, that speaks volumes to me Wait. about how much they cared about this. And like, I didn't know much about Pokemon until my son turned like five or something because <laughs> I, I didn't grow up with it at all. I never played any of the games. Yeah. Now I know the vast majority of them because my because, son. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, they didn't play it for cheap laughs. Like, they were important characters. You saw a lot of different ones of them. They were all integrated into this world, and uh, the you, world was great. You just, you just fell right into that. Like, yeah, this is the this world. These and, things and, look like, and they and it was such a perfect mix, perfect production design too. In terms of like, they looked like the characters from the cartoon, but they just gave them like realistic features, and that I imagine was not easy to do. Yeah, the fact that they pulled it off, especially like you look at Pikachu. I mean. Yeah one of the most recognizable characters and the fact that they made something that looks semi-photorealistic but also looks like the cartoon character yeah. is astonishing. Yeah. Like I, I I'm still amazed they pulled it off. I always I always harass Theo, my son, by saying that the best Pokemon is Mr. Mime. He gets so mad at me. He's <laughs> like And then the movie had like a great Mr. Mime section. I'm like, see Theo? Mr. Mime's the best Pokemon. <laughs> He's like, no one likes Mr. Mime. But <laughs> And it was a fun story as a mystery. I'm like, it, like it got kind of complicated. It did. It got uh, maybe a little, a tad overcomplicated. A little too convoluted, probably toward the end. But you it know, was, what? They, it was fun. They put good effort into it. So I'd see, I'd see another one. Kudos. Oh yeah, I would too. Not, no, not you couldn't do a detective Pikachu, but yeah, another. It, it, didn't, it wouldn't have to be that. It could be anything in that world would be really Probably fun can't to see. touch Ash, though, because. Yeah, well, Ash never changes. <laughs> there, now, of all characters that needs character progression, <laughs> there's one. Ash is like stuck in like 12 years old for the last 20 years. Yeah. Poor well, this is what I do other people in the manga and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, Toy Story 4. Which I didn't see. How dare you? It just it just came at the wrong time for getting out to the movies. I guess so. But So how was it? Was it I think I asked you once, but I'll ask again. So was it worth making another one after three ended so great? I'll say what I said before, mostly. See, I considered this kind of a coda to Toy Story 3. I, I, for me, Toy Story 3 feels like the definitive end to Toy Story movies. And because this one, I think particularly because this one is so focused on Woody. I mean, I think Woody is in all the movies kind of the main the main protagonist. Yeah. I mean, even when it is about Woody and Buzz. I think Woody is kind of the, the everyman. But this one is so much on him. And, and honestly, a lot of the new characters get more focused than some of the old characters. And I, I kind of wonder if this, the only reason I can think of for this exactly was because they didn't want to recast Mr. Potato Head. Okay. Because Don Rickles had passed away and it might be strange to have, because like Toy Story 3, like the entire gang was yeah. really a big part of the action. And this one, I mean, they're there, but like I said, some of the new characters tend to get more screen time, I think, which is, again weird if this is like the last toy story movie yeah. if is why i say it feels more like a coda attacked on uh, yeah. a chaser in, yeah <laughs> as you put it so that's that's one feature I, I still feel toy story 3 is a more definitive ending and there's the last uh, 10 minutes i felt conflicted about and i don't want to talk about it here until you because s- i haven't seen it because you haven't seen it and there may be someone other people because yeah this one didn't feel like it had quite the must-see vibe to it that three did and i don't know if it's because we started taking pixar sequels for granted a little bit which feels unfortunate um yeah and then i think three was just the end for so many people yeah yeah and i mean don't get me wrong. The animation was beautiful. They had, there was a lot of great character moments, great story moments in this one. So I don't begrudge this movie for existing at all. So it, it, it 
it pays its way. Yes, it, it, it pays its way. It, it pays its dues. Yeah. We watch just your going. It doesn't feel like they're just rehashing it one more time. No, no. I, 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 I do agree that the characters must have had a burning desire to tell the story that they did with this one. Yeah, the the reason I question something at the end is it kind of, for me, it sort of calls into question some of the very... It's like I remember Roger Ebert saying about The Lion King. When at some point you start talking about the animals eating animals, it get you start it throws the entire concept into a little bit of doubt. It's like, has Simba eaten any of Timon and Pumbaa's relatives? <laughs> you know, like why we can eat any of these other guys, just not these two. Not that Toy Story is about people eating, but like there's enough of a question mark at the end for me, and like. How do the rules of this universe work if that, you know? Okay. Yeah. That's, that was, that was my main problem. Okay. That was my main problem. It pulls the curtain back a little too far. For me. And and maybe, maybe for other people, they wouldn't read that into it. But that was, that was kind of my, my issue with like the last, again, it was really like the last 10 minutes. But like the rest of the movie, really, like I said, really, really enjoyable, classic Pixar humor. Yeah. Check it out. Um, So really, that's all the movies we had to talk about here. So, that's why we decided to talk about some TV, because like I said, event TV is a thing nowadays, yes. particularly when uh, that event is Stranger Things. Yes. So uh, what did you think of season three of Stranger Things? I really enjoyed season three of Stranger Things. Now, as a writer, I thought that all the plot lines were moving at great pace, the intertwining and the, I mean, it was very well structured, I felt like. I like the characters. I think I mentioned to you before that I thought it was a little more brutal and um, language oriented than it previous seasons, which I would have yeah the, preferred to tone down a little more. Tone down the, like, the cussing. Yeah, and, and and then also the brutality the br- in terms of violence. Yeah, like, I don't I don't care about the creepy as much. You know, the rats exploding, whatever. Like, uh, I don't like it, but it's just part of Stranger Things. Yeah, um, but yeah, it just seemed like it was a little more like the, people just got. There's a lot high, there's a higher body count too. Yeah. Which I hope I really hope that they explore the consequences mm-hmm. in Hawkins cuz like we had all that hoopla over uh if we had the, all that hoopla over Will and Barb, we better have a lot of hoopla over everyone else. It killed a lot of people. And again, that's just part of those sort of things, but like after a while you just start feeling like, man, there's just a lot of death here. Yeah. But yeah. I thought they played the characters well. I know you mentioned that some people didn't like the Russian thing. I thought the Russian was a lot of fun. Well, I mean, I I understand some people's concern in terms of like tone. In some ways, the the story was a bit more. Like I had a castmate from the Sherlock play that I'm in yeah. right now. Actually, the guy playing Sherlock, which actually fits. Now I think about it, <laughs> but but he felt like the um, the story was a bit more cartoony this time around, which I I less wouldn't grounded. argue necessarily. Yeah, and I I yeah again I I don't think that's an unfair critique of it i do think they were sort of they've been kind of moving more into this kind of blockbustery direction like if you look at season one season one looks like it could have been filmed in like the 1970s 1980s early 80s it's very desaturated low contrast almost looks like it it was like i said shot on film practically Um, i don't think it was but it looks like it and it was much more grounded in a lot of ways and people who really like that Stephen King quality of the first season probably didn't like season three as much now I do think they were already shifting this way in season two Mm -hmm. because I noticed in season two that like the contrast was higher the colors tended to be brighter it was still set in Halloween so the difference wasn't quite as stark and if you if you weren't looking at the cinematography that closely but it kind of felt like it was, they were sort of transitioning. And maybe that's because they wanted to transition into more blockbustery, lighter fare. Or maybe it was just to try to reflect the times. Because season three takes place in like in 1985. That's the yeah. year of Back to the Future. Which, yeah, we see. Yeah, which we see. Which, of course, they had to reference. Um, but again, that's a much more brighter style, brighter cinematography style. And, and again, the eighties were this era of like gaudy, crazy colors anyway. So, so it would be interesting. And especially you have the mall in this one, which was a great fun to see. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's interesting. You talking about that. I wonder, and again, I don't know, but I've not read interviews or anything where this is sort of like, they purposely are taking it this way. Like they just feel like exploring this sort of eighties vibe Mm -hmm. or whether it's like, Oh, now we're big. We're going to just fall into these habits because, and I, I guess I lean more towards they're doing it on purpose, but 
just I, because. I kind of feel that way, too. I mean, I feel like part of that, like, if you look at, uh, say, Billy, who was a character that was was introduced in season two, and, and he felt kind of out of place. Yeah, and I read somewhere that they had planned the season three arc for him even before they finished two. Yeah. At least big brush strokes. Yeah. Which, which makes, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it does. Like, once you see season three, it's like, oh, this feels like a character that was introduced earlier so that we could do this with him later on. Yeah. Well, once you know, okay, our show's a big hit, let's plan for the future. Yeah. I, I feel like they probably had a roadmap for not only story-wise, but how they want the cinematography to change along with the series. I mean, that's my theory. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought it was a fun season. I enjoyed it. I think it was certainly stronger than season two. Season two is a little, like a lot of season twos are just trying to figure out what you do now that... The sophomore slump. Yeah. Again, it wasn't bad, but yeah. it was trying to figure out what it was doing. This one... Whether you liked or not, knew what it was doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, yeah, I do think the the lighter tone and some of the over-the-topness, I mean, the Russians are are ridiculous, but yeah. I mean, they're a fun ridiculous. I, I, yeah, I, I enjoy Russians always ridiculous kind of in those sorts of movies? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, aren't they referencing, I remember hearing that there was some movie from the 80s that was basically about a bunch of teens throwing out, uh, fighting oh, off. Oh, Red Dawn. A, yeah, Red Dawn, yeah, fighting yeah. off an invasion of Russians or yeah. something. Well, not only that, but like the one guy who kept trying to assassinate everyone. I mean, he was basically Terminator running around. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certainly some of these big things going in the background. Yeah, and I can see people complaining that it's too on the nose or whatever. But which, yeah, I I understand it's, but it's just, yeah. I I don't feel that way. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like I enjoy seeing the show kind of morph into and and staying true to a Stranger Things idea, but at the same time each season really kind of feels like its own beast. Well, I remember watching the first couple episodes thinking, I don't even care about this whole horror thing. Like, I just like watching these kids run around doing things. Yeah. And if that's what you like, then that, that's what and season three really is. It really it really was more about the kids, especially the kid plot line. Yeah. We didn't even really go into the upside down hardly at all. No. It was like more like the upside down came to, came to Hawkins. Yeah, so it was, it was certainly less horror and more teen drama. Yeah. Which is also 80s-ish, but... <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a different combination of the ingredients. Yeah, for sure. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., let's talk about so that. So, season six? Uh, yes, I think. So I've, Tim I've lost I've, track at this point. Tim and I have been watching this since the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's been always a very interesting show. The, the, they keep finding new ways to reinvent themselves. This season, um, this, because like last season probably should have just been the end. Or could have been. It could have been. I don't know if it should have been, but they yeah, I'm not sure backed themselves been. in certain corners. Yeah. I still think so at the end of last season, this is well, I'm gonna always it's not really a spoiler. At the end of last season they killed off Colson. Yeah. Again. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, it's supposed to be the final version. The problem was and then they got renewed and they're like, Well, we can't really imagine the show without him. So so they basically created this parallel universe Colson, except of. except not really it, it's a half the season is about who is this guy who looks like Colson but isn't Colson and that's a whole complicated thing thing but basically my point is the idea of killing off Colson in the first place was a mistake like yeah. if there was even a chance that the season would have been renewed they should not have they should not have done that and Colson's gonna be back again next season apparently with a uh LMD. A life model decoy. Yes, thank you. I was, I was like, did I get the acronym right? Um, Basically a robot. But yeah, a, a robot Coulson, which, cool. I, 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 Yeah, I agree he should be on the show, but you shouldn't have killed him off in the yeah, first place. Yeah. It was a dumb idea. And you start asking lots of philosophical questions about, is this even close to being the same person? Like, all the characters are like, oh, Coulson's back. Like, no, this is like a robot clone of a... From an idea, and it, it, yeah, it, you've like three no, yeah. Um, but it was a it was a solid season. Yeah, I but, mean, they always come up with really clever problems, things to do with their um with their characters. The the characters keep progress. I mean, they've the one thing that the shows them really and, well is they the characters keep progressing over all. Yes. They haven't got static. I mean, Max no. Max never stat. None of them's ever been static over six seasons, really. Which is pretty remarkable. I mean, Sky got kind of stuck for a little bit. But, well, yeah, yeah. But she's not now. No, no. She's. I mean, she's obviously a very different character than she was season <laughs> oh, one. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to go back to season one it'd and be, start it'd be a little pay- it, because it, season one was a little campy at the beginning. It, not it, in a bad way. Not but in a bad way, but it would very be very different. This very, you know, like la- five was like kind of brutal yeah which would never happen season one no that's true that's true and it'd be interesting to see just like fitz and simmons are are, <laughs> are have come have grown up so much in that show i mean so, so if you're not seeing this fitz and simmons are um two scientists 
a guy and a girl. They were friends. They're married, twice married now, I guess, technically. <laughs> this yeah. whole time travel, don't even. Yeah. But their plot line has been particularly interesting over the last three seasons. Yeah, yeah. But like probably the best episode all this season was they're sort of finally working through stuff that had been simmering for a long a time. Long, like things that like in TV you just pass by because you had to move on to the next episode, but at some point really should come out. And it did. Yeah. And it was awesome. It was awesome. So yeah. Best use of like dream sequence. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you wanted to see long-term consequences for characters, go check out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think the entire show is on Netflix. Yes. I think you're right. So yeah. Every it's a time solid we, show. It is a solid show. Every time we talk about it, I'm like, no, more people need to watch the show. It, it's been such a fun ride. And the, and the middle scenes are, are like top notch. Yeah. I think my favorite season is still season three, but there's awesome moment season four has got some amazing moments toward Mm -hmm. the end some of the beginning parts of season four i was like and how they move characters to place i was like "Eh," but but the payoff the payoffs are almost always awesome you know great payoffs and constantly reinventing itself it never gets like oh we've seen this before yeah (laughs) it's always like wait what (laughs) in a good way yes oh yeah yeah it always keeps you guessing so yeah i'd I'd recommend to anyone who likes that sort of superhero show but Hasn't seen it for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Which most people haven't for some reason. Um, The only other thing I wanted to touch on, and we won't go into rural in depth, and you can let me know afterwards if you have any other TV you want to talk about. But The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, a show on Netflix, prequel to The Dark Crystal, the fantasy movie by Jim Henson. So, of course, you know I'm going to be into that. Yes. I'm about six episodes in, and it really is, like, go watch a trailer for it, and if it sounds at all interesting to you, Dive in. I mean, it's it's a it's one of the I've only watched two episodes. One of the most deeply fantasy shows I've like world complete world that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, the Dark Crystal movie was kind of astonishing in terms of it's a movie without any human character, live action movie without any human characters, all puppetry, and they basically invented a lot of techniques for that movie. And so now there's an entire ten episode series about it. Which is kind of nuts when you yeah. think about, one, how much, you know, no one was doing puppetry, a full movie on puppetry you know, before Jim Henson. And even now, no one's doing a whole adu- <laughs> adult, not like a kid's show, yeah. mind you. I mean, you could watch some it's older kids. It's pretty intense. Older kids. Older but. kids, but yeah. Yeah, no one's doing like a show like this for, for grownups. It's, it's sort of surreal. I haven't watched two episodes again, but... Kind of surreal watching, just because it is so fully its own world. Yeah, and, and I, some of the characters and the the Skeksis, the villains. I mean, they still get under my skin as a as an adult. Like they're they're you know, evil. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've it's been a while since I talked about it on the podcast, but you know, I didn't as a kid. I was not a fan of fantasy because of the weird vibes that '80s fantasy gave off. And the Skeksis can still do that for me, but it, I, now I have this like fascination because it's like. Whoa, what is this? So I, I told Danielle once, it's like every time I sit down to watch an episode, I'm both excited and trepidatious for whatever I'm about to see because I have no idea. Yeah. I have to give credit to him just because I've always been fascinated with people who can create an entire world that's only meant for film. Most people don't, they steal it from somewhere else. Mm. There are very few movies that like, I'm going to create a visual world that's only really meant visually. Yeah. And Dark Crystal is doing that. I mean, you know, Star Wars did originally in Matrix. Not, there's not a lot that do it. So, yeah, check it out. We will probably talk more about this show on um, for a special episode of the Weekly Hijack at some point. I didn't want to. I have a lot I could I could talk about, um, but I want to save it till I, one till after I finish the series, and also so we're not hampered by time because <laughs> we're we're running a little long here. But were there any other shows you wanted to movies? Not you talk that about? I can think of. I'm probably well after we're done. Rec- we're done recording. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that was that was our summer movie slash TV uh, roundup. Roundup, yeehaw! <laughs> okay, um, with that, uh, I think it's time to wrap things up. Right. Remember, you can uh, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Just search for Derailed Trains of Thoughts, and uh, we should be able to find us both of those places. And Nick, where is our um, what's our webpage? You can find us at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com, and obviously our podcast wherever podcasts are found. Although we uh, we okay, really should look everywhere, in, I guess not. We really Spotify. need to like look into like Spotify, yeah. and that's that's kind of the, the next terrain we need to explore at some point. But for my soundtrack choice, I also was having a hard time. I, I really wanted to like have some like deep character connection, but uh, I've done way too many Final Fantasy stuff, and I couldn't really think of. There's not another one that 
game that I've played. I know there are games that have some great character growth, but I don't have a personal connection to that. So instead, I picked a remix from Super Smash Brothers Melee called Choose Your Character Versus, because OC Remix actually has two remixes called Choose Your Character, which is, of course, remixes from the menu screen where you choose your character in the fighting game Smash Brothers. I like that. I, I'm enjoying that. Okay, good. Uh, this one, uh, Choose Your Character Versus, is uh, was remixed by Outset Initiative. And uh, it takes what is actually a, usually an upbeat, like getting ready to fight song and kind of goes mellow and chill with it. So nice. I think that's a fun character growth or change or whatever you want to call it. Change of character for the song. Yeah. For, for your Choose Your Character Okay, this is yeah, okay. I'm uh, probably doing this in part because my brother-in-law Eric Smith, he loves saying "free for all," <laughs> which is because the narrator for Sm the Smash Brothers games has this really special delivery. So, anyway, that's for you, Eric. <sighs> I know he's gonna annoy me with that again next time I see him. <laughs> anyway, I think it's time we got cleaned up. I think they got got a nice picnic. Yeah, uh, coming I, up. I, it looks pleasant. I like pleasant places. I mean, there's no kaiju run around here. So. Yeah, that's a relief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think um, we just hang out and... I mean, I, I did see that, that redhead just like chew yeah. someone out over in the in the yeah. store. Yeah, it wasn't my wife, was it? No, I don't think so. She, okay, good. This one seemed a lot more verbose. Oh, okay. Okay. So anyway, thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. <laughs>